is my light and salvation whom shall I fear the Lord is the strength of my life of whom shall I be afraid when the wicked even my enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh they stumbled and fell though an oath should encamp against me my heart shall not fear though war should rise against me in this will I be confident wanting of I desire of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, he shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifice of joy. I will sing yea. I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou sayest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servants away in anger. Thou hast been my help, leave me not. Neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy ways, O Lord, and lead me in the plain path because of my enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of my enemies, for false witness or rise up against me, and such has breed out cruelty. I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and ye shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Amen. So, first I'd like to thank everyone for coming out tonight. For those who are online, welcome. Welcome to our Wednesday night uh, Bible study. So, we're going to pray tonight. But first, before we pray, just turn to the person next to you, beside you, in front of you. And just tell him it's good to see you tonight. Just shake off the tiredness tonight. Good to see you tonight. Good to see you tonight. What a privilege and an honor to be in the house of God. So let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Father God, we thank you. We thank you, God, for the opportunity, oh dear God, to be in your house one more time, God. God, we honor you tonight. I bless you, Father God, Jesus, because without you, God, I am nothing. God, I'm asking you to eradicate things from our heart tonight, oh dear God, Jesus. Oh, Father God, Jesus, straighten us, oh Father God. Let your presence be felt tonight, oh dear God, in this service tonight, oh dear God, in this Bible study tonight, God. Oh, Father God, Jesus, open up our hearts and our minds, God. 
to receive what the man of God is coming forth with tonight, oh dear God. Father God, Jesus, great is your faithfulness tonight, oh dear God, and we thank you and we honor you. God, we just want to lift you up tonight, oh dear God. There is none like you, oh Father God, Jesus. God, give us humbleness, oh Father God, Jesus. Bind us, oh Father God, Jesus, in unity, oh dear God. Oh God, Jesus, bind us in unity, oh Father God, Jesus, in this hour, dear God. Oh Father God, Jesus, have the way tonight, oh dear God, Jesus. God, we love you and we praise you. There is none like you, oh dear God, Jesus. God, I humble myself before you, oh dear God, another night, oh Father God. Just to give you thanks, oh dear God. God, we give you thanks for opening up our eyes this morning, oh dear God. For setting us on our way, oh Father God. God, there is somebody, Father God, Jesus, that didn't make it this morning. But God, we thank you and we honor you. Oh, Father God, Jesus, have your way tonight, oh dear God. Oh, Father God, Jesus, lift us up tonight, oh Father God, Jesus. Oh, God, Jesus, we honor you and we praise you. Oh, Father God, Jesus, you are worthy, you are great, oh dear God. Father God, Jesus, anoint the man of God tonight, oh dear God. Bless him, oh Father God, Jesus, as he come forth, oh God, with your word tonight, oh dear God. Let your word penetrate our heart tonight, oh Father God, Jesus. Oh God, Jesus, let your word, oh dear God, penetrate our mind, oh dear God. Open up our hearts and our minds. Give us more wisdom and understanding of you, oh dear God. God, we honor you tonight. Great is your faithfulness, oh Father God, Jesus. And I just want to thank you, Father God, in your precious name. Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on. Let's continue to praise and worship and magnify his name. Let God have his way tonight. Let's lift him up just for a moment. Let's give him the honor he so deserves. Lord, you deserve all the honor. You deserve all the praise of all the glory belongs to you, Jesus. And we worship and magnify your name, Lord Jesus. We're grateful, Almighty God, for your goodness, for your mercy, for your kindness. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We want your will to be done, not our will, oh great God, but your will be done, Father. Whatever you need to do tonight, Lord, let it be done, Lord God. Oh, Father, will you break, Lord God, that spirit of disobedience, oh God, that spirit of rebellion, Lord God. Oh, will you deliver us from neglect, Lord. Will you deliver us from our strongholds. Will you set us free, Lord God, and we can walk out of this place tonight with a different mindset, Lord, with a heart that is changed, Lord God, with a mind that is fixed on you, with an attitude to serve you, with a mind, Lord God, to give you praise and honor God. Oh, Lord, that we will walk out of this place tonight changed, different, Lord God. Oh, Father, with a new understanding, Lord God. Oh, God, with a heart open and receptive to all that you have in store for us. Oh, my God, have your way. Have your way, sweet Jesus. Oh, God, you're in this place. And we look to you, God. You are the author and 
finisher of our faith. You are the source of our strength. You are the giver of life, the sustainer of life. And we look to you. What a privilege it is, Lord, to know who you are and to know we can call on your great name and to know, Lord God, that every answer that we have need of, you have the answer for us. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be your name, oh great God. Blessed be your name, oh great God. Oh God, we're so grateful that you have not forsaken us, Lord. That in spite of our wrongs, that in spite of our disobedience, that in spite of our ignorance, you're still calling our names. You're still reaching for us. You're still being available to us. Oh, you're so good to us. That's why you are the only good God. There is no other God beside you that is good. There is no other God beside you that is able to do exceeding and abundant above whatever we may ask or think. You are the only wise God. You are the only true and living God. There is nothing, Lord God, that can stand before you. For it is you that made all things. All things were made by you. And without you, there was not anything made. All power is in your hand. All power is in your hand. Oh, God, you're so great. You're so great. You're so great. You're so great. Woo. Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. That's all right. Let God have his way. God wants to talk to you. God wants to talk to you. And he can get his point across just right when our heart is ready when our heart is open, when our heart is saying, God, I need you. That's when he's ready to talk to us. When we make ourselves ready, he will talk to us. When we say we're ready and sincerely ready, God will speak to us. God will give us what we need. He will impart to us what he must impart. If we're ready, God will give it to us. If we're ready, God will work with us. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. The presence of the Lord is in the midst of this tabernacle. Oh, hallelujah. If you will call on him, he will hear you. If you will call on him, he will give you instructions. If you will call on him, he's ready. He's ready. We just have to be ready. I must tell you this. I don't, I don't know if we consider the goodness of God as he is good. We just know he's good, and a lot of times we can only relate to his goodness because of the little things that he did for us. 
And he's probably saying, I want to do so much more for you. And so we know that he's good because of some of the little things. But God want to do what we would probably consider big things. To show you how much better he is than what you already know. And I believe I've experienced this for myself. So let me speak from my experience. I've observed it as well, but let me speak from my experience. One thing I know about the Lord, and I know more than one thing, but I'll say one thing I will share with you right now. I know about the Lord is whenever you decide to change from your will to respond and embrace his will, it can happen. What happens a lot of times are, is we have not really made the determination that we want God's will more than our will in our life. And so a lot of times we, we say it because it's right, it sounds good, we know it will be better, but we're so locked into what we have been accustomed to, what we have become comfortable with. And because of that, we don't pray with conviction. And hear this. Only God knows our heart. We don't know our heart. And the devil don't know your heart. There's only one that knows your heart. And so if we open our mouth to say, God, I'm tired of this. He knows if you're tired or if you're not. When you open your mouth and tell God, help me, change me. He knows if that's true or not. And you wonder sometimes why it looks like we have to go through so much. Oh, God, I'm a child of yours. Why do I got to go through? Because you're not ready to stop going through. You're still going through things. You're still fighting with things because you aren't ready to let them go. And here is the trick. Here's the trick. You don't let go of the things that is in your life that's wrong just to let them go. God will not work in that situation. So you just being ready to get, let it go and get past it is not enough for God. With God, you have to be ready to let it go and hold on to him. Yes, yes. We want to let it go, but we don't want to hold on to him. We just want to say, get me out of this, but we're not ready to hold on to this. As a matter of fact, for those of you that don't really understand holiness and get it all twisted up all the time. Brother Bishop Bernard posted this, and I just smiled. Holiness is separation from sin and the world and dedication to God. That's a principle. That's a principle. It's not a one-off. It's a principle. So when you want God to do something and you are stuck into something, you have to be ready to say, mm -mm, I'm done. But you can't just be done and be neutral. If you want to be done and be neutral, God won't help you. He will leave you right where you are because you're not ready. But when you're ready to be done and commit to his ways, now here he comes. Because the only way you stay free from your situation is by holding on to him. But as long as you are free from the situation and not holding on to him, yeah, we're probably just going to go back to the situation because it's what we're accustomed to. 
So if you want to know why we don't see change in our life as much as we should, it's because we're not ready for it. It's just that simple. Preacher, no, I know. No, you're ready to get out of the situation, but you're not ready to commit to God. Two different things. And so many of us go to God in prayer to get out of the situation, not to commit to God, which means you're stuck. Because God is not going to work on your part because God don't waste his time, his efforts or anything. We do it, but he doesn't. So he knows when we pray these nice prayers, oh God, we pray, oh God, will you heal, will you deliver? He's saying, yeah, you're not ready. And so as much as I want to help you, there's nothing I can do with you right now because you're not ready. Not me, because I'm always standing and waiting, but you're not ready. And so I believe that if we will just let that percolate a little bit in our mind and begin to think about our life, we will see some change in our life. We will see God do something in our life that it, it, it might have been years that we're just stuck in a situation. And in just no time, you feel like, how do I not even have the urge for that anymore? Because you really did want to get out and you really did realize I have to get out of it and hold on to the Lord in order to stay out of it. And I'm ready to do that. It'll just be seconds. You, you will feel the change, the shift in your spirit, and you would wonder how in the world, because you're ready. You're ready to hold on to God. I proved it when I first started coming to church. I wanted the Holy Ghost because that's what they told me at the church. You need to have the Holy Ghost. And so I just wanted the Holy Ghost. Didn't really have no good reason. But when I realized, God, I want my life to be changed because I want to serve you. This is my experience. I want to serve you. When, I, when it came to that, I don't know if some of you know the story, but I told the story before. I did not have the Holy Ghost after I got baptized in Jesus' name for probably about six months. And then one day, one of the leaders in the church said, in order to be a part of outreach, you need to have the Holy Ghost. I said, really? That same week, I got the Holy Ghost. Because it's when we're ready to let it go and then hold on to him is when he will work for us. But just to get through it, just to get over it, just to, you know, be free from it, that's not enough because we're going to go back if we don't hold on to him. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Thank you, Sister Sylvia. Appreciate your reading and your prayer. And thank you, everybody, for just being obedient to the spirit. I believe that. Uh, all of us here tonight are feeling the presence of the Lord, and um, I feel like you're being obedient to the Spirit of God, and it's just a wonderful thing when we can come together as the church and just be in one accord because we feel the pull of the Spirit of God in our midst and in our life, and we are responding to that. And so I believe we're responding to the pull of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 1 through 7 as you remember and recall, we have been talking about the Beatitudes series. Our Bible study have been on that, the Beatitudes. And um, tonight we're uh, talking about uh, blessed are the merciful, right? And so we will get into that. And um, this is a very interesting lesson. It, it really helps me because 
Um, it will talk about something that I usually end up talking about this time of the year all the time. Maybe God just always remind me that this is the time of the year you need to talk about this. I didn't plan this, so again, it has to be what God wants to do. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 1 says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Let me just tell you something that the Holy Ghost just wanted me to say to you before I get into the teaching. Some of the reasons why, another reason why um, we don't see the change in our life, we don't want to hold on to God because we don't know what God is going to do with our life. And that makes us fearful. And so instead of us just holding on to God and trusting, knowing how much he loves us, we will rather just not do it at all because we don't know what God is going to do in our life. And some of us thinks that we know what God could do or can't do or what we could do or what we can't do. And the truth of the matter is you don't know what you're capable of in God. Too many Christians think they know what they are capable of in God. You don't. This is why this whole journey is about faith. You have to trust God. And if you know him, why not trust him? We have trusted people way more than we have trusted God. And people have not been reliable, and God has always been reliable. But we still end up trusting people more than we trust God. Stop thinking that you can predict what you can do or can't do in God. You don't know that. None of us know it. I don't care how talented you are or how little bit of talent you have. You still do not know what God can do in your life or what God will do in your life. Get over that and just say, God, I'm going to trust you with my life. I am going to surrender my life and trust you with it because I think I know, but I know I don't know. I think I can't do it, but I don't know that I can't do it. Only you really know, God, and if I'm going to find out, I'm going to have to trust you. We got to let go of that stuff. You don't know what God can or can't do. You have to trust him. You may be seated. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. In Jesus' day, when he physically walked the earth, mercy was not and still is not popular and regularly, regularly demonstrated. People treat mercy like it's a disease of the soul. 
Proverbs 11 and 17 says, The merciful man doeth good to his own soul. The merciful man doeth good to his own soul, but he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. Mercy is good. Tell your neighbor, mercy is good. But you know Jesus, here he go again with his profound teaching that happy, we said the word blessed means happy. Happy are the merciful Just like he said, happy are the poor in spirit, happy are the mourners, happy are the meek, and happy are the hungry. Again, to try to think we know, this should let us know we don't know. We have to just trust God because this makes no sense that happy are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Happy are the meek. Happy are people who mourn. Happy are people who are poor in spirit. That makes no sense. And so just from those teachings alone, we need to back up and say, God, it looks like I don't have any other choice but to just trust you. Because to try to figure out things like we know, it's going to get us in a whole heap of trouble because we really don't know. Yes, there are teachings that we're going to see in Scripture. We're going to look at it and say, okay, I got the understanding of that. I know how to do that. But to think you know what's going to happen in your life with Christ, you don't know. If he doesn't share it with you, you don't know. And guess what? Even when he shares it with you, you still don't know. Because what he's saying, you think you understand. And oftentimes the reason why we can't understand Because we may not be as spiritual as we need to, to really understand the big picture. The word mercy, if you ever look up the definition according to scripture, the biggest uh, or the strongest word that you will find in all of the explanation, in all of the the, the teachings as to the meaning of mercy, the, the strongest word or the most consistent word I found was compassion. Mercy, compassion. Compassion is a strong description of what mercy is. Compassion. Keep that word in mind because we'll see it again. Mercy is an attitude, or should I say an attribute, of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's it's his character. Because Jesus is merciful... He expects his children to also be merciful. Are we planning to be merciful in this house tonight? If we're not merciful now, let's plan to be merciful before we leave here. Trust me, it's good for us. In chapter 5 of Matthew, we read about the Beatitudes. And now, 13 chapters later, in Matthew 18, And 21, those same words, mercy, are echoing in Peter's ears as to what he thought about mercy. The scripture says in Matthew 18 and 21, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. Peter thought that 
forgiving somebody seven times, that's showing a lot of mercy. He figured, you know what, seven times, a lot of mercy. Uh huh. That's what Peter was thinking. The rabbis taught back in those days that their students were only called to forgive someone three or four times. After the three or four times, after you forgive them three or four times, you're like kind of off the hook. You don't have to really go back down that road with them again. That's what the rabbi taught back in the day. If they didn't mend their ways after three or four, I'm sorry, or three or four, please forgive me, then you were supposed to move on from them. That's what the rabbi taught. So Peter, when he came and rolled upon Jesus, he said, let me add four more forgiveness on top of the three that the rabbis normally talk about. Let me add some more to it and then go up to Jesus and just, you know, let Jesus know that I was thinking, you know, seven times is good. That makes me a really merciful kind of guy. And so that's how Peter probably was perceiving it. And so that's when Peter went up to Jesus and asked him the question in the text we just read. How many times should we forgive our brother or sister that sinned against us Is seven good enough? Because that's what he was basically saying and asking, would seven be enough? And so when Peter said, is seven enough, Peter expected Jesus to pat him on the back. Peter expected Jesus to say, man, you are so merciful. You are full of compassion. That your brother and sister, they do you wrong seven times and you forgive them that whole seven times. Man, Peter, you are bad. That's what Peter thought. But we know the text. Jesus told him that no, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven, which if we do some of our mathematics with that, it's about 490 times. But even that wasn't the, the point with Jesus. It was the principle of the thing that Jesus was teaching, and that is doing, there is no set amount of time to show mercy or forgiveness toward anybody. So already our understanding and our heart is, is, is challenged because Jesus is teaching us that we should not have any set amount of time to show mercy, to show compassion and forgive someone who has done you wrong. So whether it's, I don't think any of us probably sitting in here tonight, probably maybe, but I don't know how many of us had people that wronged us seven times or more. They might have did it two or three times, and when they got to three, we did the three strikes and you're out. Not taking this no more. I'm not a fool. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. We're not even going three. We're going two. That's us. And we say we are merciful people. (laughs) But let's go deeper than that. In Matthew chapter 18, verse number 23, some of us are familiar with this text, but let's just take our time and work through it because this is Bible study. Matthew 18 and 23 says this, therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. 
And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owned him ten, which owed him ten thousand talents. So one of his servants owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Aren't you glad you didn't live in those days? I'm glad I didn't live in those days. Because today we owe somebody, you know, they take us to collection agencies and all we get is phone calls, phone calls, phone calls. You better pay. Back in these days, if you didn't pay, they threw you, your kids, and your family, your wife or your husband in jail. I'm glad I didn't live in those days. Mm-mm-mm. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped his master, saying, Lord, have patience with me. I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant, this is, this is heavy, man. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me. That thou owest. Now, I don't know the exact setting of everything, but here is how I figured it. I figured the first servant might have been, might have had a higher position on the food chain than the other servant, right? And so because he had a higher position, he was making more money. So he was making enough money to have a little something for himself and then still let some of the other dudes borrow that didn't make the same amount of money he did. And so he let people borrow and pay him back, and he probably was just no good. He probably paid, made, charged them high taxes to pay him back. Well, who knows? I'm just saying. Just trying to get the story right. And so because he was making big money, he can borrow big money from his master. But the time came where his master like, dude, you owe me a lot of money, man. You've been borrowing, 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 and now guess what? You owe a ton, and I need my money because if I let you keep on borrowing, borrowing, pretty soon you will not be able to pay back the loan. So I need my money now. Master said, give me my money now. Dude says, oh, my goodness, I, I, I don't have it right now. Now, he said it in his mind knowing that other people owed him because he knew he was giving, lending money out to other people. So he knew he probably could have hustled up the money at some point in time and come and pay off his debt to his master. That's probably what he was thinking. And so he begged and pleaded with his master, if you will just give me a chance, I will pay it all up. And the master said, you know what? I'm going to show you mercy. And I'm going to forgive you of the debt. I am not even going to let you go and go collect the money and bring it back to me. Because remember, he could have put him in prison. Could have put him in prison, his wife in prison, and his children in prison. The master had mercy and says, I'm not even going to put you and your family in prison. I am just going to forgive you of the debt. Which should mean you don't even have to go to anybody else and ask them back for any money. But we're always trying to get over. We're always trying to be slick. And so how he started thinking, because I was a sinner once, so I know how a sinner think. And so how he probably was thinking, ooh, 
Think about this. I don't owe the master nothing. If I can collect everything all those other heads owe me, man, I'll be doing real good. So let me go out and go collect the money from all them other dudes so I can have a little something, something, because I don't have to pay the master back. That's a sinner's mentality. I'm sure I would have thought like that if it wasn't for Christ. I keep it real. I don't know about you. I keep it real, real with Jesus because I know he knows what's going on. And so he went to his boy and grabbed him by the throat and say, yo, give me my money. Give me my money. You know how much you owe me. Come on, man. I don't have it right now. I don't care. Figure it out. I want my money. And the fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay thee. And he would not have patience with him. He did not show him any mercy. He did not forgive him like he was forgiven. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Now, I got a question. Because you know what? I read, I read scripture in a nosy way. In an inquiry way. If, if you put somebody, I don't know if they did this back in the day. We have to investigate this and, and start researching this. Did they make any money while they were in, were in jail back in those days? I don't know if they did that back in the day. I know they do today. Today when you're in jail and eventually if you start working, you'll get a little something, something. A dollar a day, dollar seventy-eight a day, two dollars a day. But that's today. So I just can imagine back in those days, that's over 2,000 years ago. So I can't see them back in those days paying them anything when they're in jail. So here's, here's, my, here's the reason why I'm going down this road. If you got so mad because somebody owe you, to the point where you put him in jail. How smart is that really? A smart person would say, how you going to give me my money? And the smart person will probably follow him around while he earn his money or while he go collect and give him his money. But an ignorant, just, just hot-headed person is going to put him in prison and say, yeah, stay in jail because I would want my money. Yeah, you're going to get your money, bro. I'm in jail. I'm not working. I can't even talk to nobody to get your money. So why are you putting me in jail? That's a little lesson again. Just throwing that in. A little lesson on when we get so upset, we're just stupid. Stupid. This is one of the reasons why Jesus said, be angry and sin not. Because you get so angry that all you can do when you're angry is dumb things, stupid things, things that you're going to regret afterwards. He's dumb. Why are you putting the dude in jail if he owe you when you get your money back? He can't pay you while he's in jail. I'm sure they weren't paying the jail, them dudes in jail back in the day. I'm sure they just had them just building uh, stuff. You're not getting no money. We live in this cushiony life where you go to jail now. They got TVs. They can use phones. They can use computers now, email and all. Man, what is this? Please, back in those days, man, you were working hard. And they whooped your tail if you didn't work hard. You're not making no money. 
So if you were in jail back in those days, you was busted and disgusted. Nothing. Zero. Zilch. But he was so mad. I'm putting him in jail. And he was such a hypocrite because we know he's just been forgiven his big old debt. <laughs> then his Lord, after that, he had called him. Well, 15, 31 says, so when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told their Lord all that was done. You see what's going on? So all the other servants, they probably owed him too, and they knew he was coming after them sooner or later. So they said, you know what? Before he get to us, let's go tell his boss what he's doing. Because we heard the story that his boss forgave him. So before he come to us try to shake us down, let's go tell his boss. <laughs> Don't mess with the world, man. It'll eat you up. There ain't nobody for you. Everybody angling for themselves. And we keep on thinking, oh, the world, you know, is I don't see what's the big deal. Unfortunately, people, I, I feel this way. People are not deliberately trying to do you in. They're just looking out for themselves. I don't think it's so much that people are just evil, just want to be evil to us. No, they're just looking out for themselves, and they don't care who get hurt or how it all go down, just as long as I look out for myself. It's been that way all along. And so without Jesus, we're going to always be that way. We're going to always be that way without Jesus. We're going to be selfish. All we're going to care about is look out for ourselves. But here is revelation. When you give your life to God and you really trust him, you don't any longer have to look out for yourself. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me to the path in the path of righteousness for my He says, guess what? He says that he will give us abundant exceeding above whatever we can ask or think. So when you're living for God, you don't have to bulldoze people to try to be selfish. God's got you. This is how you know sin is tricky, man. After you start walking in this light and start understanding this, you're wondering, you know, you can't say this to people, but you're shaking your head like, how are you still living a life outside of Christ? It is so maddening to watch people live their life without Christ, especially after they get an understanding. Well, maybe they didn't get an understanding. Maybe, maybe they didn't get the understanding. Okay, all right, my bad. But just living for God and realize God says he will fight my battle. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. God says he will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. God says he's my shepherd. What am I worried about? I can give whatever I need to give and take care of who I need to take care of. And I'm not worried about because God's going to take care of me. But when you don't have God, you got to scratch and claw and hook and crook and connive and be selfish, always trying to get what you can get out of the deal. Man, I don't know why we lost on that. Then his Lord, after that, he had called him, after them boys squealed on him, his Lord called him, Oh, wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Talking about you worship me and you treated me like you wanted to do the right thing. Shouldest not thou also have had What's that word? 
What did I tell you? Mercy, the, 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 the word that you will see show up all the time that gives the best descriptive, the one word descriptive of mercy is that word, compassion. It doesn't have anything to do with what anybody deserves. Because that's what Jesus did for us. He had compassion on us. He didn't say, well, you deserve that. He just had compassion because that's who he is. And we're supposed to be like him. We're supposed to just have compassion. Not because they are wrong or right. It doesn't matter. Compassion has nothing to do with what anyone has done. It has to do with just being that. But we'll get to that a little bit. Had compassion on that fellow servant even as I had pity on thee. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Now, when the, when the big boss threw him in the jail till he pay all, I think that was just there to say that. Because guess what? Little hidden gem in there. When the when the big boss threw him in hell till he pay all, you know what he, how he gonna pay all? Paying for his sins, which means you never stop paying for that, because that's that's almost equate to someone that continued to live in sin, and when judgment come and they get cast in the lake of fire that's where they're going to be forever the rich man watch this the rich man didn't need the money that's why he said all right you're debt forgiven because he's rich i don't need it that's why i can give you but the one that put his hand around the man's throat said give it to me he wasn't rich and so he needed money so when the rich man says put him in jail forever until he pay, rich man wasn't worried about him paying. Rich man knew he was going to rot in jail because he was never coming out because he can't pay. But the rich man just said till he can pay. But it wasn't till he can pay because he can't pay while he's in jail. What just happened of the scriptures we just read? What happened between the time the first servant at the king's feet and a debtor fell at his feet? What happened between the time he was forgiven and the time he refused to forgive? The servant left the presence of the, of the king and went and found a fellow servant who owed him, watch this, 100 pence. The average worker earned, worker we said now, the average worker earned one penny a day. So this debt was insignificant compared to what the servant had owed the king. Instead of sharing with his friend the joy of his own release, the servant mistreated his friend and demanded that he pay the debt. So when you are Christ-like and you're merciful and you have been forgiven the debt, guess what you're supposed to do? You go and forgive Everybody else that had a, that had a debt for you, the people that owe you, you said, listen, man, this, I had a great debt and it's been taken care of. Don't worry about what you had to pay me. You good. This is why when I baptize people 
<laughs> this is why when I baptize people, I pray the prayer of repentance with them. And I say, I want you to repent as I instruct you. And, and I tell them, say, Father, forgive me for the sins I've committed against you knowingly and unknowingly. Then I say to them, and now I want you to forgive every person. Let go everything that has happened to you, anyone that have hurt you, that have mistreated you. I want you to let it go now. See the method to the madness? Because the way we're supposed to be as Christians is when we get forgiven, released, set free, we need to go share it with somebody else and rejoice with them and let them feel the extension of what you're feeling. So in all the ways and behavior of a Christian, we're supposed to always, whatever we have, we try to give it to someone else because everything we get from God is good. We're supposed to share the goodness of God with other people. Not just hold on to the goodness of God and celebrate in our own little house and, 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 and just, you know, stack up all the goodness of God. No, we need to give some of the goodness that God has given to us so others can experience the goodness of God just through you. The debtor used the same approach as the servant. Have patience with me and I will pay you all of it. But the unjust servant was unwilling to grant to others what he wanted others to grant to him. He was not merciful. He received mercy but did not give mercy. Jesus was showing us that it doesn't matter what our brother or sister have done to us. We must show mercy and forgive them. We like to weigh the matter. Here we go with that intellectual, our, our human process. We like to weigh it to determine if we should or we shouldn't forgive it. I want, I, I, I want Jesus, the next time any one of us decide to weigh it to determine if we're going to forgive it, I would love for the Lord to just speak to you clearly. Try that and see what happened to you. Because we're overlooking that, that we just think we have the right because someone offended us, because someone hurt us. We have the right to put them in jail. We have the right to say, man, I'm not going to forgive that. I have to do something about that because you have done that to me too many times. Why do we think we have the right to do that? We're Christians. If we were in the world, that's different. In the world, vengeance was ours. But when we get saved, vengeance belonged to the Lord. The Lord said he'll take care of business. And let me throw this one in there real quick for you. And for the ones that, uh, that, that are not Christians and they want to take vengeance on God's people, they better watch themselves. I remember that the apostle Paul, before he became an apostle, his name was Saul. And Saul tried to persecute God's people and God spoke to him himself. God didn't send a prophet. God didn't send an evangelist. God said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And that joker was like, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. God don't stand for that. And that's the thing. When we try to take vengeance on God's people, when we try to come against God's people, God will surely fix us. Some of us wonder why we're in bad situations now. 
because we try to do other people wrong. We try to, to fix people. We try to take vengeance back out. We try to correct them the way they need to be corrected because they did wrong. Who do you think you are? Can we have some patience? Can we be merciful? As a matter of fact, we do better in letting people make their own mistakes. And so hopefully they'll learn from it because a lot of times, as I said at the outset when we started, a lot of times God is allowing us to continue to sink lower and lower in our situation. God, I thought you're love. Why would you allow me to sink lower and lower? Because I need for you to understand. I need for you to learn. I need for you to know that until you understand the severity of what's going on, I'm going to just keep on letting you go down. Until you decide you don't want to go any lower, then, and you call on me because you sincerely want me. He desired his master. Man, there's so much of that thing. God needs us to desire him. Back to what I just said earlier in the outset. He just doesn't want you to not be in the situation anymore. He wants you to not be in the not want to be in the situation, but want to be with him. That's why the master was mad. The Bible says that we read, the Bible said that the master thought his servant desired him. Isn't that what we read? When he realized all he wanted was to be free from the debt, he said, oh, it wasn't about me and you. It wasn't about a relationship. Oh, you just want to be free from the debt? Okay, I'll fix that and put him in jail. Put him in misery because you didn't want God. Same principle today that I'm telling you about that if all we want to be is free from a bad situation and we just want to be free, but we don't want to hold on to God and come into intimate relationship with God. If, if we don't want both free from it and deeper in God, if we don't want it that way, it's not changing. Nothing is changing. We have to want it that way. This servant wanted to be free from the debt, but he didn't want to be in no relationship with, the, with, with, with his boss. It doesn't matter if you are right and someone else is wrong, the people that did you wrong. You are not better than they are, and they are not better than you. We, we have this thing, man, where we, unfortunately, in our minds, tell ourselves, I'm better than them. Who do you think you are? We're not better than each other. How do you know that, preacher? God didn't pay a different price for you than he did for me. That's how I know. That's how I can say we're no better than the next person. Because God did not pay a price for you different than he paid for me. He paid the same price for every one of us, which means we're all the same. None is better. He paid the same price. So we, we don't need to be walking around in our little cute way thinking that we better than somebody because we doing something better than them. God paid the same price for them as he did for you. It has been rightly said that church hurt is the deepest hurt. We're not supposed to hurt or be hurt by other brothers and sisters in Christ but it happens. So we need to stop uh, making it be bigger than it is. It happens. It doesn't make it right, but it does happen. Yes. 
We are fellow servants of Christ and brothers and sisters, and sometimes we hurt each other. That's never going to change. I pray to God, husbands and wives will know that. I pray to God, brothers and sisters in Christ will know that. That we will never continue to coexist together and not hurt each other. It happens! But we have to remember that we hurt God. And he didn't say, later for you, I'm done with you. No, he went to the cross for us. So why are we getting so hung up about somebody hurt us? I know that it's not supposed to happen, but we've just got to get used to it. That there's no way you can live your life and not realize that you're going to hurt somebody. Somebody's going to hurt you. You can't get through this life without that. You're going to hurt somebody. Somebody's going to hurt you. We need to do something about that. We need to settle that. That is going to happen, and we don't need to mistreat each other when it happened. We all were spiritually bankrupt. We owed a debt we could not pay. We were poor in spirit. But God, who is holy and righteous, he demands that our debt be paid. You didn't catch that, right? You didn't realize... God could have said, well, I'm God. I created the institution. You know what? Your debt is taken care of, and he didn't go to the cross. That would be unrighteous because God had already set the laws in order that the soul that sinned shall surely die. And so because that was his law, that was his word, that the soul that sinned shall surely die, he couldn't sweep our sins under the rug and says, well, I'm God, so I can do whatever I want. He could not if he was going to be a holy and righteous God. <laughs> no, he couldn't sweep it under the, under the rug. He had to handle that business. He had to pay the debt because he said from the outset, the sin, the soul that sinned shall surely die. And so now when mankind sinned, what was he going to do? He couldn't sweep it under the rug. Nope, couldn't. And so because he's holy and because he's righteous, he demanded that the debt be paid. However, there was no one holy and no one righteous enough to pay the debt except one. This again is why we can't just begin to fly off and be mad at people and, be, and mistreat people because we think they did us wrong. You did somebody wrong. You are indebted to somebody. We all walking around like somebody's indebted to us. You're indebted to somebody. Are they knocking at your door? Are they coming at you saying, yo, yo, you got to make this right. So why are you trying to tell somebody to make it right? Why are you, why are you, you know, going through what you got to go through to try to make somebody else make it right when somebody can come up to you and say, yo, you got to make that right with me. Come on, we got, we got to stop being so silly. We got, we got to be smart about this now. We got to trust God and take God's word and, and, and apply it in our life. Thankfully, God came in the form of man, Jesus Christ, to pay our debt himself. 
Because there was not one righteous enough, not one holy enough to do it for us. Only one, and that's God. And God became man to pay that debt. We owe it, but God paid it. We owed it, but God paid it. A little bit different from that king who forgave his servant. I don't know what that king had to do for that debt. It's his money, so I'm sure. What did he have to do? I don't know. But in the case of God, he had to pay our debt. He couldn't just ignore it. He couldn't sweep it under the rug. He had to pay it. And he paid it by becoming human and dying on the cross for us. The Lord loves us so much. He came from heaven to earth, walked among us, lived with us, felt what we feel, hurt where we hurt. And after he had done no wrong to anyone, we crucified him and he shed his sinless blood to pay for all our sins. And we still want to be mad at each other. We're, we were bankrupt corrupt and had no hope and it's not until we go to God and repent of our sins and humble ourselves to him then we will come to that place of realizing that he had paid a great debt for us but as long as we walk in ignorance then we don't understand this first Peter 2 and 4 says who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Only those who forgive will be forgiven. You, li- you walk around not forgiving people? Let me say it as nice as I can say it. It's still the same thing, but I'm going to say it as nice as I can say it. We're going to end up in the lake of fire. If we keep walking around and holding things against people and won't, forget pe- won't forgive people and be merciful, we're going to end up in the lake of fire. It's just that simple. <laughs> Someone wisely pointed out, check this out, here's some wisdom. Someone wisely pointed out that only those who have been hurt have the opportunity to forgive. That go a little deeper than you think. If you never get get the opportunity to forgive, how will you stand before the Lord to say, as you have forgiven me, Lord, I have forgiven them. If you never get an opportunity to forgive, how will you be forgiven? So as 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 complicated as this seems. Hurt is necessary. Hurt is a part of the will of God. <laughs> Preacher, how can you say that? Because if someone don't hurt you, you don't have a way to forgive them. You don't have a way to forgive anybody. If you live this life where nothing ever happens for you to forgive, how will you be forgiven? That's the question. So hurt is a part of God's plan for your life. It's quiet up in the church now. 
quiet up in the church now. Because how can the preacher tell me that? You don't have another opportunity to forgive anybody if they never offend you. If they never hurt you, you don't have an opportunity, which means you have never forgiven, which means, guess what? How can God forgive you if you never forgave? Because trust me, baby, you're not perfect. You're not perfect. So you need to be able to forgive someone so forgiveness can be doled out to you too. I'm closing. The world's worst prison is the prison of an unforgiven heart. <laughs> I know y'all thought, y'all thought Rackers Island was the worst or Trenton State was the worst or, um, you know, one of those places out in California, wherever. Y'all thought that, those was the worst prison. No, no, no. It's the person that is walking around with an unforgiven heart. You're the one that's in the worst prison. If we, for, if we refuse to forgive others, be merciful to others, then we are only imprisoning ourselves and causing our own torment. You will be tormented if you're walking around with an unforgiven heart. Tormented. Can't sleep, can't think straight. Never feel the calm and peace of God because you are harboring in your heart unforgiveness. You're not being merciful. You're not being compassionate. And your destination is sure enough written and signed the lake of fire if you continue down that path. Help us, Jesus. Some of the most miserable people you will meet in church are the people who would not forgive others. So sometimes when people are just miserable in church, just keep it to yourself and say, I need to pray for them. Don't let them get on your nerves. Don't you get no attitude. They're probably walking around with an unforgiven heart. And if they don't repent at some point in time and forgive others, they're going to destroy themselves. And here you want to pile on because they didn't treat you right. Because they didn't talk to you right. You're piling on. When their destination, if they don't change course, their destination is the lake of fire. Why are you so mad at them? These folks that have unforgiven heart, they live only to imagine ways to punish people who had wronged them. But they are really only punishing themselves. Forgiveness heals you before it ever heals them. Forgiveness frees you to live again rather than wait in a prison of your own trying to make your hurt that you want for them affect them. The Beatitudes, watch this, I'm finishing. The Beatitudes are like a ladder. You get to the next rung by climbing the one below it. (laughs) Yes, these Beatitudes are harder to live than to read. However, when we realize we have nothing without the Lord Jesus, 
that should cause us to realize we are poor in spirit. That we should make, which, which should make us mourn, which should make us meek and cause us to be hungry for whatever God has to offer us. We will also realize that no one owes us anything, not even an apology. You got to apologize to me. Nobody don't owe you anything. Ain't nobody got to apologize to you. You need to be showing some mercy up in here. You need to be showing some compassion up in here. Talking about they're going to have to apologize. For what? As I said, you don't know what's going on in their heart. And they might be battling. And you trying to make them apologize to you. You're just adding to their battle. We're supposed to be helping each other, not hurting each other. We're supposed to be helping to release one another, not pile on. But because you got your feelings hurt, they're going to have to apologize to me. Forgiveness is never wrong. It is always right. But we will only truly forgive if we are merciful. I got a scripture for you. This is my, this is my closing scripture. Because you might want to put a, you might want to write it down. Make sure you go find it in the TLB version. Find James chapter 2 verse number 13 in the TLB version. This is what it says. It says, For there will be no mercy to those who have shown no mercy. All right, we know that. Watch this. But if you have been merciful, then God's mercy toward you will win out over his judgment against you. So listen to me. Some of us know we have some ways about us that we're still trying to get God to help us. And so while we're struggling to get those ways about our life right, we need to be very merciful toward each other. Because mercy will make God judge us with mercy. So that little situation that you feel like, man, I need to overcome this. I, I'm, I, I want to get over this. I want to get my life right with this. But you can't seem to get over it. Part of what's going to help you get over it is by you being merciful to others so God can be merciful to you. If you don't want to be merciful to each other, guess what? You put yourself in a prison. You put yourself in the Old Testament almost. You're going to have to live to the letter of the law and be perfect at it. And none of us can do that. That's why Jesus came. And we're living in dispensation of grace. Let's stand. Just for a few minutes before we go, wherever you are, you need to take, some, take a moment to pray. You're not perfect, just like I'm not perfect. And to walk out of here and think that you're good, that's not smart. We got to handle what God tells us to handle immediately. We don't need to wait. We don't need to say, well, you know, we need to handle it now. 
Because what life does a lot of times is we have things in front of us that is pressing. We know we're supposed to do it. And all it takes is one text, one phone call, one email, and our attention is diverted. And so we left that really important thing to attend to something we thought was important or more important, and we didn't deal with that. I think we all need to deal with what we just heard tonight and saying, God, help me shine your spotlight in my heart and show me where I am not forgiven. Show me where I have not been merciful. Show me where I have not been compassionate. Yes, I know sometimes people are dead wrong. And yes, I know sometimes they know what they're doing. But listen to me. God will not allow you to. He will not put more on you than you can bear. We like to quote that scripture. Well, there you go right there. He won't put more on you than you can bear. So as much as that person, whether someone close to you or someone far from you, as much as you think that they're deliberately trying to do something to you you need to let it go and be merciful and show compassion and forgive them we have no right to hold on to anything none I'm not telling you that at the right time you can't have a discussion it's not what I'm saying I'm not saying that but what I do know is when your heart is right to have discussion you know and the individual know because it's a God thing. God. You know the text that says for where two or three are gathering my name, there shall I be in the midst of them? Uh, you have heard me said that has nothing to do with what we normally think it is. Because what we normally think it is is Brother Drexel. Nobody came to church. Just you and me. And we say, well, Brother Drexel, this is you and I. But you know what? Where two or three are gathered together in my name, he's in the midst. That's stupid because you got the Holy Ghost. I got the Holy Ghost and he's present everywhere. So why is that legit? That's not legit. We quote it. Not mad at nobody. Not beat nobody in the head. But I'm just saying, if you've got the Holy Ghost, he's always with you, right? I got the Holy Ghost. He's always with me, right? This is his house, right? He's always here. Not to mention, he's present everywhere. The Bible calls him omnipresent so he's everywhere so that scripture how most of us use it not properly used but here's how that text you go back and see I think it's in that same chapter 18 what he was really saying to us is when two of you are at odds and there's a situation and you want it to be right and the other person wanted to be right I will help y'all that's really what he's saying. That the two or three come together. There I am in the midst of them. He is going to help. He's going to touch the heart of all the people that are having. Remember the scripture says, if you have ought against somebody, what it says, you go. If they won't hear you, then you bring another person. How many people is that? Three. And the three of you still can't resolve it. The Lord says, if the three of you will just call on me right now, I'm going to help you all resolve it. That's what the two or three is all about. It was never about God's presence. God is present everywhere always. God is in you. You've got the Holy Ghost. So to, to think that, oh, you know, it's only one or two of us. It's only three of us in church tonight. But, you know, God is good. He's here now. Okay. He wasn't here yesterday. And so we need to just take just a couple of minutes. 
wherever you are. If you want to come to the altar, you can come. If you want to stay where you are, don't let your tiredness. Some of you are tired. Some of you are weary. But if you sincerely go to God, that tiredness, that weariness, the Holy Ghost refreshes you. When I leave here on Wednesday nights, I can't sleep. Because the Holy Ghost, I yield myself to him. He helps me to minister to you. And I've got this energy and I'm like, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? Because the Holy Ghost refreshes you. So if you're tired, just go to the Lord. He'll refresh you. If you really want to be free and you really want God to change your life, forgive somebody. Be merciful to somebody. You don't even have to wait till you get around them. Do it now in your prayer. And when you get around them, they're going to feel your spirit that it doesn't even matter anymore. That's how it works. When I pray and talk to the Lord and I say, Lord, forgive me for not forgiving them. Please, Lord, I repent of my sins. Will you forgive me? And Lord, I'm done. I'm not holding anything against that person because guess what? You've been good to me. As a matter of fact, I want to share the goodness of God with them because you've been good to me. And so, Lord, when the time is right, will you allow me to interact with them so they will know that I sincerely forgave them, that I showed them mercy, and I'm not holding any charge against them. It could be a parent that you need to pray this thing about. It could be a sibling. It could be a brother or sister in Christ. It could be in a relationship. Whatever it is, we need to ask the Lord to help us with that situation, that we don't walk out of here tonight the same way. We got to ask ourselves when we come in the house of the Lord and the supernatural takes place because what has transpired and what is transpiring here is the supernatural. God speaks and we just overlook it, neglect it. What's going to happen? Is that is that situation going to come back around? Are we going to get another chance with a strong move of God's spirit in our life to go back and revisit that thing and get it right? Will we? Can that be guaranteed? Or will we leave here in that same capacity? Father, in the name of Jesus, I humble myself before you tonight, Lord. And Lord, I don't want to preach and be a castaway. I don't want to preach to the people of God, but I'm not right in my heart. And so, Lord, I pray that you will shine your spotlight upon my heart. Show me any dark places in my life that I have not dealt with, that I may bring it to you, Lord God. And Lord, if I fail to show compassion, to show mercy to anyone, anyone, Lord, will you show me, Lord Jesus? For God, I want to truly walk in righteousness, in true holiness, in faith. And I don't want to be hampered in any way because of lack of mercy, unforgiveness, having no compassion. Lord, I want your will to be done in me. Lord, forgive me for my sins. I confess my sins to you. For Lord, there's areas in my life that need to be better. 
But Lord, you are the one that can make it better. And I know what I must do is surrender my life to you, is put my life in your hands and let you do what you need to do. You are the potter. I am the clay. Lord, will you mold me and shape me? Lord, you said we must present ourselves living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you, which is our reasonable service. And tonight, Lord God, as we repent of our sins, as we surrender to you, we present ourselves as living sacrifice. Lord, show us if we, oh God, have not forgiven someone, have not shown compassion to, towards someone. Show us who that person is, that we may go to them and release them. That we may, may go to them and make ourselves free and make them free. Oh God, have your way in us. We love you, Jesus. Because you first love us, we love you. We're grateful, Lord God. We can't even fathom your goodness. You are so good that we can't even comprehend your goodness. We just know that you have been so good to us. And Lord, we look forward to a great future in you. We look forward to a great future in you. Have your way in our thoughts. Have your way in our heart. Have your way in our deeds, Lord God. We want your will to be done. We want your kingdom come. We ask you these things. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For some of us, don't move until you feel like God has released you. Don't move until you feel like God has touched you. Don't move until you feel like, okay, the burden has been lifted, the weight has been lifted. Sometimes we just need to give God the time that we did not expect to give him. He, he deserves all of us, all of our time, our heart, our mind. And sometimes we try to rush him and make him think he has to move on our every whim. But God don't move on our every whim. It's for us to surrender and submit and let him do what he wants to do. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Father, by the authority of your word and the power of the name of Jesus. Lord, I command, again, by the authority of your word and the power of your name, I command him to be free from every stronghold. I command him to be set free, Lord God, from his past, from every thought and every deed. <laughs> free his mind, almighty God, in the name of Jesus. Cause him to forget the things that have lodged in his mind, Lord God, and set him free. 
Oh, Lord, I pray that you will order his steps, Lord God, and constrain him according to your purpose and your will. Lord, put up roadblocks that every time the devil entice him, he will not be able to respond. That every time Satan try to entice him, Lord, I pray that you will block the device of Satan, the work of Satan. Father, into your hands we commit him. For only you can do the work that's needed. But Lord, we have petitioned and asked and declare for your will to be done. Your word has already gone forth. Your spirit, Lord God, is yet working. Let your will be done here tonight, Lord. That from this day forward, he will never be the same. From this day forward, Lord God, he will walk a different walk, talk a different talk, live a different life. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.